between 1973 and 1983, the combined Social Security and Disability Insurance Trust Funds were operating with a negative cash flow. That means more was going out and coming in, and it was depleting the trust. It almost completely went bankrupt. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We're your hosts. I'm David Thompson here with Leo Sabo. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about social security, what it is, how it works, where does the money come from? Are there some timing strategies we should be using uh, when we take social security out? Uh, what are our thoughts, Leo and I's thoughts for the future? So Leo, do you want to just break down a little bit of what is social security? Well, this is, you know, it's an interesting topic. I've always been interested in this and recently I've done quite a bit of reading on it as both of us have to prepare for this podcast. And it could be a very boring topic, but it's such an important aspect of our future, yeah. of, of our government, of all the benefits that, that come along with Social Security. And we're not even talking about Medicare in this segment. We're really only touching on Social Security. But so much of our yearly income, uh, the tax that, that comes into the government is spent on, it's the largest portion, right? It's like 33% of the income that the U.S. has every year goes towards Social Security. And more than that, it's a personal issue for each one of us. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a young person, you may not fully understand what Social Security is. I'm old enough to know and understand uh, where it was, where it's going, uh, and what the implications of it are just a few years down the road. And it's something that we have to take into account because your personal finances will be impacted by either the lack of Social Security or by what benefits will be available by the time you get to retirement age and the ability to draw Social Security benefits. So First of all, let's just define what it is. Social Security is a government program system that provides monetary assistance to people with inadequate or no income. And one of the sad things about uh, our research uh, that we've done and what we've looked at is how many people today depend on Social Security. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, it, it's amazing to see um, the breadth that this program has extended to mm -hmm. and how far it reaches. Right. So in the United States, we use the term social security to refer to the U.S. social insurance program. And we call it an insurance program, uh, but technically it's an entitlement mm -hmm. because although we pay in like it's insurance, Every month that you're employed, you're paying in usually 6.2% of all your income and your employer is putting in 6.2% yep. of your income. Uh, and if you're self-employed, then you're putting all of that in. So it's 12.4% right. of your income goes to this. So it's like insurance because you're putting it in every month mm -hmm. and you expect by the age of 65, you can pull it out and that you will get a certain defined benefit. But what's interesting is the government has labeled it as an entitlement, meaning they can make adjustments. So it's yes. not actual insurance that you're buying. Right. So it's almost a misnomer. Uh, they call it a social insurance program, but it's not actually that. So it is for retired and disabled people. Uh, the technical name is the OASDI, the Old Age OA Survivors and Disability Insurance Program, 
OASDI. And the OASDI is a comprehensive federal benefits program that provides benefits to retirees, right? People that are mm-hmm. have reached retirement age, whether that's 62 or 67, we'll talk about today, uh, or 70 even, uh, disabled people, anyone that's disabled, and survivors of different spouses. So uh, it's a pretty, pretty large program. And when you go back to the history of it, you go all the way back to Franklin D. Roosevelt in, uh, you know, 1935. Mm-hmm. This is when this was all implemented and taxes are collected for the first time actually back in 1937 for this program. And it's just fun to kind of trace the history through. Um, The first person who ever actually received monthly benefits, her name was Ida May Fuller. Uh, She got the first check in 1940, just three years after the program started. And that check was for, wait for it, $22.54. Which I'm sure was pretty good money back then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right, back in 1940. Yeah. Interesting part is that the first baby boomer, which this is a this is what's really caused Social Security and this whole program to become somewhat come unraveled uh, because of the large number of baby boomers that are retiring and will continue to retire over the next 20 years. So the first baby boomer that signed up was Kathleen Casey Kirchling. She was born just after midnight on January 1st, 1946 and claimed her retirement benefit at the earliest possible time as soon as she turned 62. She received the first baby boomer benefit reportedly at about $1,000 on February 12, 2008 by direct deposit in her (laughs) bank account. So it's interesting. First baby boomer started getting paychecks in 2008, not too long ago. Yeah, that's only 11 years ago. I mean, that's pretty incredible. So at the beginning of 2018, over 51 million Americans were receiving monthly survivor benefits totaling nearly $69 billion, survivor benefits or retirement benefits, just any kind of benefit. So $70 billion a year Mm -hmm. going out to 51 million people. So think about it this way. The program that now provides benefits for about 50 million people is financed with the payroll taxes from over 150 million workers. Uh, Basically, you have three people working for every one person receiving benefits. That's what it is today. It's three to one ratio right now. Yeah, and the average retirement benefit for retired workers is $1,334 a month. Which is not a ton if no, you're retired. It's not. Uh, that's you know <laughs> certainly not enough to live on. No, that's like fifteen, maybe sixteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah, uh, it's really not a lot. Yeah, the maximum payment for someone claiming benefits at full retirement, this is age sixty six in twenty eighteen, is more than twice that amount, which is twenty seven eighty eight. And according to the Social Security Administration, nine out of ten Americans age sixty five and older receive benefits. Nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Nine out of ten Americans now, are over sixty-five. Here's here's a sad statistic: twenty-two percent of couples and forty-seven percent of unmarried beneficiaries rely on Social Security for ninety percent or more of their income. Wow! So, so if you're over sixty-five mm-hmm. and you're single, you're unmarried. You fit forty-seven percent of those people are relying on Social Security for primarily 90% for, of their income. Yeah, That's how they live. Their income. Yeah, and twenty-two percent of couples. So the basically a quarter, basically yep. one out of four people over 65. Mm-hmm. And and it's not just one out of four over 65, because when you add in couples and, and singles, singles, it's probably, it probably higher than that. Yeah, probably, probably averages 50%. like, yeah, wow. So it's, it's really sad because when you think about this, when you look at the numbers, right, 2788 potentially for a couple, maybe around 1300 or so for an individual, a single person, that's not going to go very far. No. Now you hope that people at that age have their homes paid off, have lower costs, 
But still, I don't know what part of the country. There are some places, but certainly not desirable places, not warm places, <laughs> uh, where most people who retire want to live in less cold climates, right? I mean, sure. Florida, oh, Arizona, California. And none of those places uh, can you really live on $1,000 a month or $1,300 a yeah, month. Yeah, the as average a being $1,300. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I yeah. mean, if you waited till the full retirement age, which was 67, mm-hmm. now that's not, you could go past that and get the maximum benefit, but just the full, the average right. full being 2700 I mean, that's that was that was actually the maximum of that range. Yeah. So even that is less than thirty grand. Yeah, not everybody can get that because right. the way they calculate it is based also on income. It's what you've put into it. Not not everybody gets twenty seven eighty eight because no. they've maxed out, so to speak. Some people pay more into it because they make more money. So all of that relies on that. And if you look at the averages, thirteen thirty four a month for one retired worker. Uh, even if you double that, you're still looking at twenty seven hundred dollars or less for a couple to live on per month. I don't know. Uh, that would be really tough to do. Yeah. Yeah. Really well, tough to do. And when I, when I look at a big program like this, um, I, you know, it's hard for me to balance it because there's a lot of thoughts that go through my head. There is a desire to take care of people. Sure. And I think that when you even look back to the, the deep history of this and even where we get a lot of our values in America is from, uh, they're basically Judeo-Christian values. Yeah, they're biblical roots. Biblical roots, right? And so if you look back to that, the Jewish Torah, which makes up the first five books of the Christian Bible, it contained laws that required people to give a tenth of their income every three years, Mm -hmm. basically into a general fund for the poor. So one-tenth, 10% every three years, that's basically... A little over 3%. Yeah, a little over 3% every year to take care of the widows, the poor, and the orphans. Mm -hmm. And so this goes way back in history, thousands of years. Uh, There were also laws in place that were requiring people to allow poor people to glean the edges of the fields. So when somebody would go and collect in their fields and they'd go to harvest, they would leave the edges uncut so Mm -hmm. that the poor could come in and glean those and they could actually get a little bit of sustenance. Now, they're not getting the best in the primary, but they're getting the edges and they're getting just enough to live on. So the laws that we have today, the the heart behind it, the desires to make sure that people are taken care of. And that's important to me. When I look at the expense and how poorly it's managed, some of that stuff kind of starts to frustrate yeah, me. me <laughs> but and you look back at the history, I mean even even our even our laws on bankruptcy mm-hmm. uh, have some tie in into the biblical laws of every 7 years that you would release that you're released to release back to somebody who owed you and you would forgive debts. Yeah. And every 50 years everything would be forgiven. And so um, the desire is to not put people in such a place where financially they can't live. You know, right. you don't want to put somebody into financial bondage long term. And so that's where our bankruptcy laws come from. That's where this social security idea comes from. But there is also uh, an importance of somebody being able to take responsibility for themselves mm-hmm. and to save during their good income earning years for the years when they will be in retirement. And that's also biblical. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the, you know, that's the dis- distinguishing factor here is if you look at the biblical model, they're really talking about the widows, okay, women that were left by themselves. And back in those days, a widow was fully dependent on male uh, either the husband or the sons in the household. Yeah. They were the ones that owned the land. If the husband died or their sons, they didn't have sons or the sons died, they were basically left destitute. There was nobody else to care for them. Right. And so this 
system was instituted in order to make sure that these women were not forgotten, that their parents died and orphans wouldn't be forgotten, and that the poor in the community, this was a blessed nation, right? Mm. God brought them from Egypt into the promised land, which was Canaan, and they were blessed and were able to take over this property, this huge land that was very, very wealthy in resources and all of that. And in the midst of that, before they even entered the land, this is what they were told, this is how you to manage this. Because God kind of saw that and said, this is what you're supposed to do in order to make sure that everybody is cared for. And I think that it's instinctive to human beings. For us, we not only see it in Scripture, but really, I mean, look at any program. You look at the uh, Wounded Warrior program. You look at so many different programs that are out there today that are looking at people that are disadvantaged in some way, that they've somehow either been not necessarily forgotten, but just whatever's happened to them has been to a degree out of their control. Sure. And and it's, I believe, societies or a country or a city or municipality, whatever, it's their responsibility to make sure that those people are taken care of. Now, that's not everybody. <laughs> it's not a majority of us. It's only those that cannot care for themselves. And I think this is where I think Social Security and this whole program kind of took a wrong turn. Yeah. is that it became a retirement system. And I don't know that it was ever intended to be that. Maybe it was at the beginning, but I know there's been a lot of changes, and I know there's been a lot of abuse in the way this these funds have been used over time. It's why this system right now, this fund, is in trouble. Yeah. is because it was not cared for as it should have been. There's been borrowing from it and for years and years and years. In fact, we'll get into that of what's actually in the coffer. There's not a lot in there right now. It's a lot of promissory notes, but not a lot of money. And to me, I think there's a personal responsibility. And part of the reason we're doing this show is not just to point out all the problems. That doesn't help anyone. It's really just to educate, to help people understand where we're at, and then to kind of pull back a little bit and say, okay, what do I do with this information? What is it that I can now, being in my position at 30, 40, 50, what can I do in order to prepare myself. Because if this is not a benefit that I'll have, or if it'll be a reduced benefit, what do I do? How do I how do I plan? Yeah. And that's really what we're hoping to do is to open people's eyes to the reality, not to scare anyone, but just to share facts, let them come to a conclusion, and then really hopefully move them to be more serious about how they're managing today so they don't become part of the statistic. Right, right. Where they need 100% of their income to come from Social Security. Yeah, and this is important, Leo, is that we make some personal application. Sure. So how does this apply to you personally, the listener? Well, A, you know, the way that you would qualify for retirement benefits in the first place is you do have to pay in over time. Mm -hmm. And so every year you can accumulate what they would call credits. You can accumulate four credits. Basically, depending on how much you earn mm -hmm. and every quarter, you can basically get another credit. Right. So what you need is 40 credits in order to actually qualify for retirement benefits yep. from Social Security. So essentially working 10 years. Right. They don't have to be consecutive years. Mm -hmm. You could work a year and get four credits and then you could work, you know, you could not work for two years and then work for five years and yep. get another 20 credits. And every year that you work a full year is four credits. If you work in a quarter and earn a certain amount, you'll get a credit. You don't have to work for the whole year. Mm -hmm. But if you get 40 credits all together, right. then you qualify for Social Security. Now that Social Security Security tax. If you're working for an employer, again, it's usually you personally putting in 6.2% of your paycheck, but the employer is also putting in 6.2% of your paycheck. So you might not feel that pain because the employer is putting it in, 
but that means that they're paying you 6.2% less mm -hmm. because they still have to pay that into the taxes. Sure. So you just, you just don't see it, you know, come out of your paycheck, but it is calculated. Yes. Uh, if you were to own your own company and you're self-employed, that's where you're putting in all 12.4% yourself. And that doesn't even include Medicare, which yeah. is another 2.9% if you're doing that by yourself. So almost 15% of yeah, your income. Over, actually, 15.3. Yeah, 15.3, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that applies to the first 128,000 of your wages or your self-employment income. So this is one of the ways that it begins to affect you personally, yeah. is that for the first 128,000, you're getting this big tax. Yeah, this was a revelation to me. I, I didn't know that there was a cap on how much you would pay into these. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple of years in a row, I actually exceeded the amount. Now, it wasn't 128 at the time. Congratulations, Leo. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> it was a little bit less because back, you know, this was probably 10, 15 years ago when it happened. But when it hit, I think I had two or three months left of the year and there was no social security taken out. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Of course, I had paid full into it. Um, most of us probably don't, you know, don't hit that. It only happened to me a couple of years, but... I, I just, that's how I found out. I looked at my pay stub and like, hey, something's missing here. I didn't get any Social Security and Medicare uh, charges. Like, what's going on? And basically it was that. So anyway, it's kind of an interesting thing to find out and the way I found out. Yeah, that is an interesting journey. So uh, so you will receive your full benefit. This is what they call full benefit sometime between age 66 and 67, right. depending on when you were born. So if you're born after 1960, then that full benefit age is 67. And I'd say just in general, that's kind of the number I would keep in your mind is 67. Uh, now, your personal benefit is going to be based on your taxed earnings for your 35 highest paid years of your career. So let's say you only work 10 years. Well, then they only have 10 years to go off of. Right. But if you work 35 years, if you work 50 years, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be based on the 35 highest income earning years. Right. Yeah. And that's important to understand. It's just because you can qualify for Social Security by working the 10 years and get those 40 credits doesn't mean you'll get full the max benefit. Yeah, no, right. no, no. Like, it doesn't work that way. It's still, it's still based on how much you put into it. Right. Right. It's like any pension plan, mm -hmm. right? they figure out a formula, they plug it in, and they're trying to figure out, okay, based on what you earned, how much you served, how many years of service you have, what's the reasonable benefit you should receive for this? So that's important to understand. If you don't work the 30, 40 years, your payment's going to be smaller than somebody who did yeah. and made more money. Yeah. Now you might be thinking, well, you know, maybe I'm 50, 60, 70 years old now, and I paid in, you know, using 1970s dollars. Yeah, you pay in <laughs> back in the in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. And $35,000 in the 80s would really be worth about $70,000 of income today. Sure. Well, the government adjusts for inflation. So, you know, let's say you put in 35000 back in 1981. It would probably be adjusted to be a little bit more than twice that amount in today's dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so they are, you know, accounting for inflation. Sure. And that does fit into this oh, of equation. Course, of course, matters. You can sign up as early as age 62, but if you do, your benefits will be cut by 25 to 30% compared with what you'd receive at age 67 or 66. The reduction reflects the reality that you'll likely be receiving benefits for a longer period of time. In fact, the goal of Social Security actuaries, a fancy word for the calculation of risk and premiums, is that no matter when you start benefits, you'll receive the same amount of total dollars before you die assuming you die on schedule. 
that is, at the end of your estimated life expectancy. Yeah, I love this. They are, they're planning to make sure everybody gets the same benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Now, based on the amount you put in as well. So if you put in a lot more, you will get more. If you put in a lot less, you will get less. Sure. But let's say that you earn the exact same income as someone else, put in the exact same amount over your career, and one person decided to start taking it at 62, mm-hmm. and one person started taking it at age 70, the, right. the latest you can take it. Right. They're planning for those two people to actually get the same real dollar benefit mm-hmm. out of it if they live to, I think the average now is somewhere between 81 and 86 years old right. based on when you were born. And well, not just when you were born, obviously that would change, but your health and all these different pieces. Sure. So uh, if on average you're going to live to, let's say, 85, they're kind of assuming, okay, if you start taking it at this age, then it should equ- be equivalent. Yep. So the important thing here when you're looking at timing strategies is if you have a family history of living beyond the average age, then you should, if you can, absolutely wait and take it out later. Because the later you take Social Security, Mm -hmm. the bigger and bigger it is. And if you're going to be taking it for a long time, you will get more money out of it. On the flip side, let's say that you're 62 years old and your health is really, really bad and you don't see maybe anything turning the curve and getting better, and you think in the next five, six, seven, eight years, uh, you'll probably pass away, well, then you'd want to take it as early as possible because every dollar you get to keep. If you pass away at age 69 and you haven't started taking Social Security, you You don't get anything. anything. (laughs) And they calculate that in. Yeah, and what's sad about this statistic, I think that most people who are going to find themselves, as we talked about the statistics of how many people depend on Social Security alone, I think the temptation is you get to 62 and it's like, I need every dime. And I've counseled yeah, several people yeah. around that age group that they can't wait to 65 or 67. You know, they they need something as soon as they turn 62. As soon as I've they're eligible, yeah. they take the minimum they can, well, whatever, whatever they get at the time, which is obviously not the high end, is the right. low end. And who knows? You know, if they're, especially if they're healthy and they, generally think they're going to last a lot longer. That's going to be a smaller payment for a longer period of time. And it just makes it more difficult. And it's part of the reason why we're having this discussion, why we're doing the show is to help people prepare, right? Yeah. And, and really not think of Social Security as the only option because it shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's look at the difference between if you were to take Social Security at age 62, at age 67, and age 70. It's about an 8% difference in the amount of benefits you'll receive every year that you wait. Right. So every uh, year you wait, you yes. get 8% more. Yeah. So let's say that um, you started to take at age 60 and you're getting $1,000 a year or 62 and you're getting $1,000 a year. If you'd waited to age 63, you'd be getting $1,080 a year. And if you waited age 64, then you'd get $1,160 a year, give or take. You know, there's a few percentage pieces here. But over time, if you, instead of doing it at 62, you wait till age 70, the difference can be 76%. The mm. increase that yeah. you'll be getting is 76%. That's huge. That's, huge. Um, that's a major, major change. So let's put some real dollars to that. Uh, Leo, I think that you went onto the social security calculator on AARP and actually pulled some of this. So what does that look like? Yeah, so around 40 million people are part of the AARP, which most of you probably know what that is. It's a nonprofit group. You're eligible to join at age 50. And as a member, of course, there's some benefits and everything else. But from the social security calculator, I looked up what a 60-year-old person who averages $50,000 of income per year and various amounts uh, they get if they applied for Social Security at different ages. 
So at age 62, they would get $1,289. At 66, they would get $1,778, almost $500 more. At age 70, they would get $2,276, a full $1,000 more if wow. they waited the extra eight years. Yeah. Because again, it's eight compounded every year. So if you if you just go from 66 yeah, yeah. to 70, it's extra 32% because it's eight per year. Mm -hmm. That's for 32, 32% more if you wait from 66 to 70. So this is a $1,000 difference per month for this person if they're able to wait until age 70. That's $12,000 a year. It's a significant amount of money uh, for a retiree yeah. that's depending solely on Social Security. Yeah, well, especially if you're planning to live a long time, mm -hmm. you definitely want to wait as long as possible because $12,000 a year. Let's say that you live 10 years longer than the average life expectancy. Mm -hmm. That's $120,000. Yeah, makes a big difference. And with inflation, they adjust it for inflation. So it'd probably be somewhere around 140000 because they'd be increasing your paycheck over those years as well. Mm -hmm. So that is a massive, massive difference. If you see that you're going to have a longer lifespan, we absolutely recommend that you hold out as long as you can. Yeah. Um, and especially if you've got the ability to work or other income to live on, use that first and then pull on this. An 8% rate of return every year is huge. Get, you know, waiting a year and getting an extra 8%, that's yeah. big. I mean, that's that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, most of us can't get that for sure. And this is Not a guaranteed, guaranteed 8%. Right, right. So it makes sense to do it. So let's talk a little bit about the history of Social Security and disability insurance. Historically, both have reached times where the tax revenue fell short of the cost of providing benefits and also times when the trust funds were close to being exhausted completely, Yeah, which is something I did not realize until I started doing this research. Between 1973 and 1983, the combined Social Security and disability insurance trust funds were operating with a negative cash flow. That means more was going out than coming in and it was depleting the trust. It almost completely went bankrupt. The Social Security Amendment of 1977 and 1983 made substantial modifications to the program uh, that reversed the cash flow of the program to positive levels. In fact, it caused a substantial buildup of assets to the point of $2.5 that exists today. Yeah, so think about that. When you look at the history of this program, uh, there were times in the program where it was not making enough money mm -hmm. to actually pay out all the benefits in the future. Right. And so they had to take time and look at the entire program and say, okay, it used to be age 65 was full retirement benefits. Right. Well, they bumped it back to age 67 because they knew that they couldn't afford to serve everybody with the money they were promising, so they bumped it back. Mm -hmm. uh, there is always the possibility. We're talking about this as if, you know, when we look at, the, at it personally, you know, oh, you're almost guaranteed this, or, you know, this, is a, this should definitely be in your retirement planning. Well, when you actually look back at the history of this overall program, it's not guaranteed. In right. fact, a couple different times they've had to change it because they didn't have money. And we talk about that $2.5 that they've got now in the trust fund, in the mm -hmm. fund. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of what that looks like as well. So if we're looking at the changes that they've made, go back to 1977 and look at the amendments that included basically a fundamental change in how they indexed the benefits, how they how they gave people benefits based on how much they poured in over their lifetime and how much they're going to receive. They changed it from one generation to the next. Right. 
Then in 1983, they did an amendment, and that included increases in the normal retirement of age. That's what I just covered. They went from 65 to 67, and that's where they introduced income taxation of Social Security benefits, Mm -hmm. basically saying, hey, we're going to give you this money, but you still owe taxes on it. (laughs) Yeah, in fact, up to 50% of the income uh, is is taxed. Not all of it, but 50% of the Social Security benefits are taxed. If you're between an income range, I think it's thirty-two thousand to forty-four thousand. Yeah. So the idea there, I think, it's based on if you make any money above Social Security, which, in my in my estimation, you'd have to work a little bit. If all you had was Social Security, oh yeah, and you lived anywhere where the cost of living was higher than that, you'd have to supplement somehow. And I think what they're doing is they're saying if you go above the thirty-two thousand, which is I think the max you could probably get from Social Security, then we're going to tax part of that. Yep. We're going to tax 50% of that. Yeah, if you have a part-time job, if you're doing consulting work in retirement, or if you have other retirement assets that you're pulling out, let's say you've got an IRA or a 401k and you're yep. pulling money out every year. Yeah, you definitely get taxed uh, on that. Then you're going to get taxed A, on that, but B, on your Social Security benefits up mm-hmm. to 50%. Yep. Uh, so that's a little bit of the past. What we're kind of trying to do with painting this picture is that they can make what they would call amendments. Yeah. They can shift the agreement. This is not a guarantee. Yeah, and not only that, but I think they have to. You know, the things we're going to well, cover. They do in, have to. Yeah, and one of the things we're going to cover in a few minutes here is what the state of the current program is, and you know what they're going to have to do in order to salvage it from going back into the hole again. But we're going to cover that on the next episode. Yes. But for now, we just want to thank you for joining us for this episode. If you enjoy this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. You can do it on iTunes or Google Play or any podcast app that you use on your Android device. We'd love for you to give us a five-star review if you find this show beneficial to you. And we'd also love to see a review. We'd love for you to say something about the show. This is why this is important. So many people need to have this information, and it's the reason why we do it. We want to inform and educate people in this area of money. And we would love for you to be part of that movement to help us to reach more people. We would just appreciate you taking an extra minute and do that today. Also, share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. And while you're there, find and follow us. We'd love to hear about ways that we can serve you better. If you have any questions or need more information on our financial topics, let us know. You can also go to leosabo.com for resources, tools, and helpful content. Our podcast is on there and the show notes to this episode will be on there. So please go to leosabo.com and find those. Also, we'd love for you to visit stewardshippastors.com for biblical principles on handling money. This is David's website that he created, uh, and there are great resources being added, both videos and content, blogs uh, about financial topics, obviously personal finances with a biblical perspective. David's also writing a book. It's called Jesus on Money, a resource that you're going to benefit immensely from. Uh, Learn what Jesus, the wisest man that ever lived, said about this important topic of money and wealth. Plus, remember, there's great articles, videos, and resources being added frequently. So keep going back, and you'll find a wealth of good content there. Well, we look forward to having you join us next time so that together we we can can keep keep getting getting money money right. Over time, if you, instead of doing it at 62, you wait till age 70, the difference can be 76%. The mm. increase that yeah. you'll be getting is 76%. That's, huge. That's, huge. Um, that's a major, major change. Mm-hmm.